you know, 90% of the black male slander comes from single black women. That's number one. Number Preach, two. Bro. Preach, bro. <clears throat> number two, if you really pay attention, especially on Facebook, because that's the social media that I'm on the most. If you pay attention, you'll find that I can't speak for white women because I don't really follow them. But I would say single black women have a pattern of posts. And I'm going to tell you exactly what the pattern is. Are you ready for this? Hello and welcome to the Cognac Room, an uninhibited drink infused podcast about adulting and male and female interactions. Go give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at the Cognac Room Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at the Cognac Room. I'm your host, Jay Christian. And without further ado, pull up a chair, pour up a glass, and let's discuss. And we are in here with my man, Nathan. We got Jojo Boo in the house. What's going on, y'all? What's going on, Jay? How, man, how you feeling tonight? Feeling good. Feeling good. How about yourself? I cannot complain on a Monday. It's Monday fun day. Absolutely. So prior to me hitting record on this, you, you, were, you, were, you were actually dropping some jewels, man. So uh, take it away, bro. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll dive in when it's time. Okay, so basically the, the subject uh, of the evening is, is it hard for a black man not to cheat? Is it hard for a man not to cheat in the society? And essentially the answer to that question is no. Most men don't come home sweating bullets saying, I can't believe that the day went by and I didn't have sex with three, four different women who were just begging me to give them the dick it it doesn't work like that <laughs> for men it, there's not a whole bunch of offers like that the average man doesn't even have anything like that right what i will say though is that if we're going to have a real dialogue and a real uh conclusion and something that's progressing forward with our male female relations we got to be honest and we got to be transparent and essentially what we have here in our society is a lot of women outnumbering men. And also, it needs to be spoken that there's a lot of women who are single, but they are overqualified to be single. In other words, mm. these women would make tremendous wives right. for any man. Let's just put it out there. There's nothing wrong with their attitude. There's nothing wrong with them having too much money, nothing wrong with their education, nothing wrong. They travel too many places or they're not submissive enough. It really doesn't have anything to do with that outside of them just being too much in population as, as compared to men. That's really what it comes down to. So at That's the end right. of the day, you've got a lot of women who are very qualified, but they're also very indirectly aggressive, Jay. Very, very indirectly aggressive. And it is difficult for men just as much as it is difficult for women. And we don't talk about that enough. 
the on the surface it looks like oh men just have it so easy men just have it so simple men can just do whatever they want to do and get away with it no they cannot no they cannot and i think it puts a tremendous strain on the average brother too because i think in a way jay it can stunt our ambitions to be the best versions of ourselves because we've become too comfortable with the availability of so many women that we don't even have to put forth the type of effort that is required and necessary to foster a healthy relationship. That's so right. these, are, these are some real issues that are existing in our community because I'm gonna tell you, one of the, th one of the things when I got married, I wanna be very honest with you, one of the things I'm most proud of was the fact that when my bride, when my wife came down the aisle, I was tearing up. I was crying. Like tears were streaming down my face. And I think it was a good thing. And I think it was a healthy thing because it wasn't easy getting to that place. It took time, effort, discipline, money. It took all types of stuff to get to that place. But it's good because a man needs to have a little bit of a struggle to get his wife. A man needs a little bit of challenge to feel like you've gotten somewhere. It would not have felt good if I was looking and thinking to myself, oh, you know, I'm doing her a favor by marrying her. I don't think that that fosters a healthy relationship. So, yeah, it does become difficult knowing that there's so many women out here. and they're available, it's difficult to ignore. And in that difficulty to ignore, there's a temptation to flirt. Not so much cheat, but flirt. But flirting can lead to cheating, which is a problem that has existed in the black community. Would you agree? Absolutely. It almost absolutely leads to cheating. <laughs> almost absolutely. Because I feel like depending on uh, how the man flirts. It could be very captivating to a woman if you have a guy who has perfected the art of flirting. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I agree with that. You know, guys who are very good at talking, women are attracted to what they hear anyway. Women are responsive of, to what they hear. Men are responsive to what they see. You know, I told you, you know, a story off the recording about a woman that was just simply making sandwiches at the at the at the local sandwich making shop and she just had a ridiculously fat booty and that you know it took me off like my concentration like i'm reacting off of what i'm seeing right. women react off of what they hear for sure and you could tell women things that they want to hear they're going to react and respond a certain way we learn at a very very early age as boys what to say and what not to say to women, Jay. Like we learn, don't ask them how much they weigh. Don't ask them how <laughs> old they are. That's right. We, yeah. we learn this as boys. Absolutely. Don't go in a woman's purse. Don't do this. Don't say that. Be why? Why can't you say that? Because she's going to respond in an emotional way that is going to be unpleasant for you. And boys learn this very quickly. Like, oh, okay, 
if I say this, she'll respond this way. And if I say that, she'll respond a different way. Got it. And then once you become a grown man, you know what to say. You know, you know exactly what to say. And, and women will respond. And it makes it very easy. This goes along with the temptation and understanding the availability of women. That you can say certain things that you know is going to open them up. You can say certain, and it could be a complete lie, but they're going to respond to what they're hearing. They and, seem to respond, excuse me, I don't mean to cut you short, but they seem no, to respond no, better to the lie than the truth. That's one of the major components of this whole dynamic between men and women, black, especially black men and black women. We have, I agree. We've affected the art of flirting and we've affected the art of lying and they've perfected the art of hearing what they want to hear. Mm. I, I know I can I can totally agree with you. And it goes back to a conversation that I had about what really kicked off uh, what I call the bursting of the bubble um, of this uh, relationship situation ship type of thing in the black community, which is the book Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Right. And Jay, <laughs> there's so many women that hate that book. And I asked him, <laughs> I asked him, I said, well, what about the book did you hate? What about the book did you not like? And you know what they tell me, Jay? Like, I didn't read it. I'm like, well, how can you hate a book and you didn't read the book? Wow. Because they, and then their answer is like, why should I have to act like a lady and think like a man? And I said, that's it. I said, you don't like what you're hearing therefore you have already rejected it without even diving into the book you're literally judging the book by its cover yes and, and, and it tells you like women are extreme this is why i say women are extremely reactive to what they hear i don't i'm not gonna make a judgment as to whether it's weakness or whether it's a strength but what i will say is that just like boys learn at an early age what to say i think a lot of times girls are taught at an early age what to hear and what to listen for it's true it's true brother i'm telling you like how many dads spoil their daughters sick and tell them what type of man they deserve you know how many even i'm guilty of it i have a daughter i take her out to super nice fancy restaurants you know, I take her and she's bored. She's on her phone, which should an 11 year old even have a phone? I guess so. But she's on her iPhone. I take her out to like a, a you know, four star restaurant. Why? Because I'm sitting there telling her like, you know, don't be impressed when some boy takes you out to Chick-fil-A or don't, you know, you deserve this and you deserve that. And this is what girls listen to. Surprise. Girls listen to their fathers. That's right. I'm they a father of, of girls as well. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I'm pretty sure, it, you know, if you're a great father, which I know you are, you've probably given your girls advice or talked to them about boys and talked about, you know, what the bad ones do and what the good ones do. And so they have this philosophy in their minds. And so going back to the act like a lady, think like a man, the women that have read the book, when I press them, when I really push back, what I find is that. Everything Steve Harvey said was not wrong. It's just that 
it was hurtful for them. Like it hurt their feelings to know that I have to have a 90 day rule because a guy can tell me that he likes me and that he's into me and that he wants me, but that's a lie. And I have to figure out whether he's lying or not. It's hurtful for me to find out that, you know, I need to be able, you know, I have to understand that a man has to be in a certain place before he's ready for a relationship. How come he doesn't just like me for who I am? It's hurtful for women to know that they can be told I love you and I'm committed to you. I want you. And they feel like they're the only one, only for it to be a lie. And so what I think women's cross to bear, what their struggle in life is, is being able to what I call be emotionally competent to where you can receive information and not snap. Where you could take a deep breath and say, okay, that was unpleasant to hear, but I understand what's being said and why it's being said. That has to come. And and maybe it will, maybe it won't. But that's that's I don't think it's a criticism, but I do think it's a challenge for women of all races, but particularly black women, to uh get to a place where they can understand specific pieces of information without just having this knee-jerk emotional reaction. That's real, bro. And I'll tell you what, um I was I was recording a podcast with a young lady uh maybe a week or two ago. And in in a nutshell, she said, we are trained from the from childhood. We are trained to be wives. The first thing they give us, they give us baby dolls. They teach us how to take care of a family. We get things teaching us how to cook and all of this stuff. We are groomed <laughs> to be wives. And so I think I feel like it kind of goes back to an episode that Jojo and myself did where it comes back to the fairy tale lifestyle. And as much as women grow and they mature and they realize that life isn't a fairy tale and you won't have that fairy tale ending per se, right? But underneath, there's always that desire for it. They're always in search of it because this is what they were trained to do and to be. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And so much so I was with the, I was with the homies and uh, I was talking about um, you know, they were kind of decrying black man, black man slander on the internet. And they were complaining. I said, guys, just relax. I said, you know, 90% of the black male slander comes from single black women. That's number one. Number Preach, two. Bro. Preach, bro. <clears throat> number two, if you really pay attention especially on Facebook, because that's the social media that I'm on the most. If you pay attention, you'll find that, I can't speak for white women because I don't really follow them, but I would say single black women have a pattern of posts. And I'm going to tell you exactly what the pattern is. Are you ready for this? I'm ready, bro. I'm listening. All right. So this is the pattern, right? Number one, and you know what? Just for reference, I want to quickly, because I actually took screenshots and I gave these posts names. And I, this is just for me, basically, uh, just being, just having an office job and just kind of being on 
internet. So the first post is the antagonizing post. That's a post <laughs> where they say stuff like, you know, it's winter time, it's January, and you know black men are getting in relationships, but let's tell the truth. It's only because they're homeless and they need a place to stay. Why is that? Now, that's Damn. what I call the antagonizing post. Right. Because you're, you're saying something that's clearly going to get under the skin of a lot of black men. And while this may be true in some case, there's no substantial qualitative or quantitative data that can really back up this statement that black men are only getting in relationships so they can have a place to stay or they, as they call them hobosexuals. But, you know, it's going to get a whole bunch of discussion. A whole bunch of dudes are going to get pissed off. That's the antagonizing post. Yes. The, the purpose of that post is to, to essentially just get men's attention. So that's number one. That's the, that's the first one. That's the antagonizing post. The next post is a post that is what I call the spiritual balance my chakras post where they say, you know, I'm unbothered. You know, my energy is clear. My energy is great. And I'm so unbothered. Nobody says or does anything that can get in my way. Black women are amazing because we're so spiritual. That's number two post. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second. Post. Oh, Lord. They're going to crucify now, us. Go ahead, bro. Now, listen, <laughs> no, the third post is the selfie or the photo. That's where hey. they take a photo of themselves. Hey. Maybe they're laying in bed. Maybe they're out at work. Maybe they're in their car. They're going to take a selfie. They're going to or take a full body shot. Just just doing me. All right. That's number three. Yes, number sir. four. It, number four is I'd make a great wife meme. Basically a saying or some sort of a quote, which is associated like I'm going to be the best wife ever. I'm going to make such a good girlfriend. I'm going to be so cool. Whatever, whatever. Then the fifth post is a picture of their food. Lord have mercy. Just making just a light work tonight. Made roasted chicken, potatoes, and greens. And there's a photo of it. That's the fifth one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been paying attention, brother. And then the final and sixth one is an ask me anything post, which is basically, come on, guys, talk to me. And so, you know, they'll ask me what you what do you want to know about me or what's something that you've always wanted to know, but you never wanted to ask. And then afterwards, they probably don't get a very good sample size of questions. They don't get anything that materializes. And it goes right back to post number one, which is the antagonizing post. Why are all <laughs> black men trash? That is the cycle of single black women posts. If you pay attention, now pay attention to what I said, those six posts. The antagonizing post, the I make a great wife post, the selfie the I'm spiritual, balance my chakras, ask me anything, and then right back to the same thing. I'm telling you. Hey, you've that's, been... That's, that's a cycle. You've been doing your homework. You've been paying attention. 
Let me yes. ask you this. Let me ask you oh. this. Well, where do you feel that this one falls? One day, someone is going to love and appreciate me. Until that day, I will remain single. <laughs> I'm going to make a great wife, folks. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. what that's that you're right. It does. Under. It definitely does. It does. Yes. It does. It does. Yes. Absolutely. So when you when you realize this, you have to you learn to take a step back. And you say, you know what? Everything ain't for you, my brother. Don't engage. This has nothing to do with you. This is what they choose to do. This is their cycle in terms of what they're doing to attract the man that they want to attract. Okay, do you. Now, if I was single, I wouldn't make posts antagonizing the opposite sex, but whatever. Maybe they're frustrated. I don't know. But as a married man, I have to know, I have to be wise enough to know, look, this ain't for me. You know, whatever she's saying, she's not talking about me. You know, and what she's really saying, I can read between the lines. If you're saying black men are trash, do you really think that? No. You know, no, I don't. And, I, and those same women who are making those cycle of posts will get a man and then they will completely change. You know who don't? make disparaging black man slander posts. Married black women. That's right. You know why, Jay? Because they don't have time to do that type of stuff. Because they're too busy being married and having kids and doing whatever they're doing with their man. So, and then, you know, what I've also found is that they're the ones that are loudest in their criticism. You single women need to shut up. And stop being so nasty. They're the biggest critics. That's very true, bro. You hit that and nail they, on the head. And, and they were the ones who were complaining before. But now that they've got their guy. Now they're basically slandering the single women. It's, it's fascinating to watch. As a man, it, hasn't, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Stop getting antagonized. Stop trying to argue. Don't, don't let that mess up your day. I just keep hitting scroll. And that's the thing. When I was a, when I was a completely single man, I never allowed those posts to really antagonize me. If I did comment on them, it was basically a laugh or a joke or, you know, something just to kind of some friendly banter. And I'd move on because at the end of the day, in my mind, like my mindset was, yeah, she's not talking about me. No, hell no. She's not talking about me. You know, she she might be talking about the the guy that maybe she was interested in who's not interested in her back. And it just comes out like black men are the worst things on the planet. Okay. You know, now if you don't know what's going on, you know, from the inside out, then you're just looking at it on the surface. And you're like, man, she's miserable. She's whack. But who knows? Maybe she's hurt. At the end of the day, what I do know is that it's not for me. And you just have to know when to take a step back and not take certain things serious. Because those same women who are saying black men are the worst wind up getting married to a black man two years down the road talking about I always knew that black love was a thing. Exactly. It's like, okay. Exactly. It's like, okay. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, bro. I've um, I did an episode. 
and the name of the episode was No Wedding Cake Yet. And the episode was talking about women who are 40 plus who are still single and have no prospects of being married. Right. And we were trying to like delve into the topic and, and trying to, to come to an understanding as to why this is such a prevalent thing, especially in the black community. Now, I'm not saying that it's not popular in other communities because I believe that there is a certain caliber of woman who's just too much to handle and and just not in a very receiving place when it comes to a relationship. So they they end up being by themselves. But I specifically have a woman in mind who I know is a wonderful woman. She is uh, successful. You know, she's very independent. She's a great homemaker. Everything. She literally like has no prospects. Now, here's the thing. She has standards and her standards are very high. She's very picky. And I understand that that is one of the main reasons that a lot of women, that one of the main reasons that a lot of women are still single. However, these women want love and relationships. So it's almost like, OK, you want love and relationship. You want to be happy. You're pissed off because you're not. But. You're you're shooting down every single opportunity before it even has a chance to develop. Well, I'll tell you, I, I will tell you my take on why that is. Um, and we've talked about boys and girls and how they've grown up and learning what to say and what to do. Uh, I think for men, this is a thing, but I think it's also a big thing for the women. And it and I would say that this I would say this. Um, you know, unfortunately, and this is, uh, we've talked about the population issue. So I think just due to the, what I call the racist algorithm of America, a lot of black men are locked up that shouldn't be locked up. That's right. A, a lot of black men have been unfortunately murdered, uh, by gun violence, gang stuff, maybe stuff when you were just immature, maybe you just needed that time to be immature and then get out of it. But a bullet yes. said no. Yes, exactly. You know? And then I think just due to, like I said, the racist algorithm of discrimination, miseducation, and trauma, you just have a population of black men who have extremely diluted ambitions and, and an extremely diluted philosophy to the point where they just would make poor, poor husbands. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a reality. And I think there are a number of, like I said before, very qualified women who are overqualified, who make fantastic wives, who are having trouble finding these guys just simply because they're not there. They may not just be there in their community and where they live. So that could be an issue. I think on the woman's side, though, and I don't want to call it a criticism, maybe just a result of upbringing. There's a lot of women who are carrying with them, maybe unknowingly, Jay, an unconscious, emotionally driven bias that is in the form of a philosophy that has been handed down to them from their mothers, their grandmothers, their aunts, their older sisters. And the common denominator of this philosophy is have your own. Have your own, have your own, have your own. Make sure you have your own this, make sure you have your own that, and make sure you're prepared for when a man leaves you. 
Because if you're on your own, you got to take care of yourself. Mm. You got to get your education. You got to get a job. You got to get your house. You got to save your money. Keep a little to the side. That's right. You got to make sure you got to. And it's like you're preparing women to basically not need men. Right. And it becomes a part of their philosophy. I don't need like, a man. I, didn't, I don't need <laughs> That's it. right. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. My friend, his wife, you know, she told her seven-year-old daughter, who's my goddaughter, she said, you know, make sure you have your own, make sure you got your own education, make sure you have your own money, make sure you have your own house, because when a man leaves you, what are you going to do? Like when a man leaves mm, you, what mm, are you going to do? Mm, like it's guaranteed to happen. Like it, like like to anticipate this. Right. Yeah. And, and And of course, my friend got mad because he's like, look, I'm not telling you what to tell our daughter, but at least give her a chance to enjoy her youth. She's seven. And she's already, as a kid, being told by her mother to anticipate uh, uh, anticipate black men leaving. And yeah. I think that that is a sad, sad, sad thing to communicate. It it's, really is. It is. And now you have this generation of women who have degrees, have jobs, have cars, they have resources, they have all types of stuff. But what they want is they want a man that preferably makes as much or more than they have, or has more than what they have. And part of the reason why they want that is because they don't want to put what they have at risk. If I'm making $75,000 a year, I want him to make $100,000 a year. That's right. Because his money can be our money, mm -hmm. but my money is my money. And the, the problem that I see when that happens is it falls on either one or the other, excuse me, it generally falls on either one end or the other end of the spectrum. Either it's, I need to be with a man who makes just as much as me as if not more, or I'll take a man that does absolutely nothing and I'll take care of him. Both of which are, in my opinion, extremes. Reality, the because way they got to be in control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I really approve of the, I had a woman once, let me say this. I had a woman once ask me, would you consider being a stay at home dad? So <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me just express my displeasure with that very question. Like I hated it. It made me feel very strange it was almost like washing my feet with my socks on like something didn't sit right with me you know um and i and i of course we were dating and we were having talks of marriage and her thing was she was a a professional <laughs> a professional student kind of so she had many degrees and she was doing a lot and and making money big money was not a issue an issue for her however it was like would you you know like to be a stay-at-home dad no <laughs> i wouldn't even consider it why why would I? I i i wouldn't know what to do with myself in a situation like that i don't feel like i would flourish <laughs> and uh things would get bad really fast because as much as you may have a woman and love a woman and she may love you 
in a situation like that, I feel like you're definitely wearing the panties. <laughs> Just being no, realistic. It, it is. It is. It's very real. I think it's very real. And I actually had a friend who, is, unfortunately, he got divorced to his wife, and she did the exact same thing. She was like, I want you to be a stay-at-home dad. And he told me, he's like, I have never heard a woman say anything like that. Like, why would you think I would ever want to do something like that? Like, that is not even what we discussed. And he was shocked by that. And she was, like, very aggressive. Like, you should stay at home. And you should be, you know, home. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, why would you want that? And I think it came from this desire to control the situation. Like, I don't want to, it's like, I think there's so many black women that are just like their greatest fear, what they're deathly afraid of is being vulnerable, being wow. vulnerable and being submissive. Wow. Part of that, that's a bad word. That's the yeah, worst well, word. I, I would say this because there's been a tremendous breach of trust. It's a tremendous breach of trust. I told you like this. Why are why do you think mothers and grandmothers and aunts and older sisters are telling the younger girl generation of black girls who grow into women to have your own? Why? Because, because of what they've been through. Because of what they've been through. They were in the position of being vulnerable. They were in the position of being submissive. And the men who are of our older generation blew it. They breached that trust. They slept with other women. They had other kids by other women on the side you know a lot of women were abused a lot of women were cheated on a lot of women were basically stuck in situations where they couldn't leave what can i do i'm i'm completely dependent on him my grandmother mm. never even got her driver's license powerless powerless yes. mm -hmm. and so what do you think you know, they, and it, it's just—it's a sense of sadness, but also a sense of like, wow. Like, I wonder what it would be like. You're gonna have a kid, and you're looking at your daughter. You're saying, "I don't want my daughter to feel what I'm feeling. I don't want my daughter to be completely dependent like that." Yes. Did you? Uh, would you? Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Would you agree with this though? I, and so I read this in a book a while ago, many, many years ago. And when I first read it, I thought it was absurd. But then I began to observe and I realized that it's actually very true. A woman wrote a book. I won't mention the name of the book for various reasons. But in this book, she said <laughs> that black women view the black man as dumb and unintelligent. And they teach this to their daughters. So <laughs> upon reading that statement. I literally had to stop, put the book down and just kind of, I was very young <laughs> when I read this statement, a lot younger than I am now. And I was like, yeah, is that true? And so I began to observe and pay very close attention and honestly and truthfully, it's very, it's, it's a, it's a fact, bro. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, something called the Sapphire caricature, you know, where it was basically, in the 1800s through the mid-1900s, black women were often portrayed in, in popular culture as sassy mammies. They're the ones who ran the homes with iron fists, and they berated black husbands and children. And they were allowed to defy, you know, basically the racial norms. 
and this is just a byproduct of the Jim Crow period where black people, as you know, they were beaten, jailed, killed for even arguing with white people. And they use this, and I'm talking about the white people, they use this to basically perpetuate a media image that, you know, black women were these mammies and they were allowed to chastise men as part of the humiliation of the black race. You know that men are pretty much the head of any particular race, including the black race. Mm -hmm. So living in the United States of America, unfortunately, you know, this is a very, very, I have a very controversial, very bitter pill for black men to swallow. But essentially, historically speaking, we have been conquered. We have been. Absolutely. And black men have to swallow that pill. Black men have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I am of African descent, but I speak a Eurocentric language in English. I am a person of African descent, but my last name bears a slave master's last name. And I haven't even given it thought to change it for my children. I've given my children my last name. Wow. And where does my last name come from? I haven't even given it a thought. Wow. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what kind of community have we curated? Do, do we curate the community or the city or the town or the neighborhood where black women can feel safe? Or are we sitting on the corners, you know, uh, cat calling women walking by? Yes, sir. There's no trust. And when I say there's no trust, I'm not speaking about in the confines of a relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking about community. Yes. Yeah. Seriously, yes. bro. This is, and, and, and listen, black women have their own pills to swallow. No doubt. But black men definitely have some jagged pills to swallow, man. And we're never going to get to a place where we are going to progress unless we as black men take responsibility first. And that doesn't mean saying it's our fault. No, I said take responsibility. We need to take, give ourselves the ability to respond. Hence the term responsibility. We've got to respond to this. The first way we respond, man, is being true to the women in our lives. If you're married, be married, be faithful, do everything you can to cultivate and build your family up and stay with your wife. That's, that's the best thing that you can do. That's the best thing that you can do. That's the first thing that you need to focus on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and then the second thing is understand the mistakes that your fathers and grandfathers have made. Pay attention to their triumphs and their success but also pay attention to their mistakes and learn from them. Because we don't want to live in a society where, you know, our daughters and our sons have complete distrust of one another. We don't want that. We don't want that because right. we want to live in a world where we can see our grandkids. We want to live in a world where we can see us get along and understand one another. And it's possible 
But it starts when good brothers like you and like me take responsibility. And part of that looks like us coming up first. I'm not pointing the finger at Black women. I'm not saying what Black women do wrong. I'm not chastising them. I'm not putting them, I'm not taking them to task until we as Black men own our shit first. Yes, as heads, as leaders. As heads? Yes, absolutely. You cannot call yourself a leader in the Black community. You cannot look at yourself as a as a man that needs to be looked at like a quote unquote king, unless you first come to the table and say, this is where we have messed up. I'm sorry. We take responsibility and ownership for this. It's time to change. That's real shit, bro. <laughs> That's real shit right there. I, I, I'll tell you what, man. I, um, I have had these conversations with men. And I've had these similar, very similar conversations with women. And the hardest thing that I've found for any individual to do is to see they're wrong, admit they're wrong, and commit to change. The toughest part is that final part, commit to change. Because I've found that some people don't even know where to start. So since we're talking about it, we've stepped into a realm of being socially responsible. So in that realm and in that vein, let's tell them what it looks like. Where does it start? That's a great question. Uh, and I have a website called New Black Society, plug time. But, you know, I have a website called New Black Society that talks about that. Essentially, the website is centered around starting a new black society. I think that African-Americans have to live in a space where they govern each other. Part of the reason why we have so much trouble functioning is that we are forced to function in a Eurocentric society. I just mentioned about us speaking a Eurocentric language and us having Eurocentric last names and first names a lot of times as well, because it looks good on a resume so that we can, you know, adopt and assimilate into Eurocentric society so we can have good jobs, so we can get money which is a byproduct of a Eurocentric society that we don't control that, you know, so we can just function so we can have places to live so we can have, you know, uh, food to eat so we can feed our families and things of that nature. I think ultimately what it looks like is us either annexing or doing some type of black sit from America or starting fresh someplace else. I think as long as you stay in the United States, you're always going to have challenges and issues that are going to be linked to what is described as white supremacy. Because at the end of the day, Jay, um, it's about our ability to control our money. And we don't make it. We don't create it, literally. We don't operate at the Federal Reserve. We don't operate at the uh, United States Treasury. We don't run the printing and engraving services. We don't run the Brinks trucks. We don't run the banks. So we need a way to be able to control the financial sector. We need our own economy, essentially. We need our own currency. We need our own place to govern ourselves because everywhere in the diaspora 
it is affected by Europe or United States. Africa, every country in Africa, save Ethiopia and uh, maybe Zimbabwe, they're all former European colonies. And essentially, they're still being run as European colonies. Yes, by the French. By the French, <laughs> yeah. by the Belgians, by That's the right. Portuguese, by the mm -hmm. Spanish, by the English, right? Or the Germans. Uh, you look at the Caribbean, it's the same way. Jamaica is a former British colony. It is. <laughs> you know, uh, Guadeloupe is a former French colony, and it's still run that way. And then you have the United States of America. We were never in the room when the United States Constitution was written. We were never in the room when these founding policies were created. We were looked at as property. So while we're stepping out of that, and we've assimilated into American society. Uh, we are getting a better foothold but we don't control it. So what we as black men and women can do is we can come together and assimilate very well and gain a stake in it like we're doing right now, or we can leave and start fresh someplace else, which is. Now, my question, my question to that is because we are the bastard race, like we, a lot of people like to say that Africa is home, but in all truth and honesty, respectfully, as they love to say on Clubhouse, <laughs> like they don't want us there either. We're not really accepted there either. Well, I think in certain parts of Africa, the answer would be no, that's correct. We're not, but Africa is an extremely large continent and there are places uh, and spaces where Americans are very very welcome ghana would be a great example so much so that the president has talked to the local chiefs and they have earmarked thousands of acres of land and they are practically begging african americans to come and settle here and they are saying do what you want to do you know live how you want to live you are welcome to come here wow pardon my it ignorance is, i did not know that i did not oh ghana is a huge uh huge, 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 uh, you know, player and they're a huge supporter of the African-American people and they want African-Americans to come back. They welcome them. You know, part of it is uh, their, their marketing ploy to get American dollars to Ghana. Let's not lie, but they are very sincere. Uh, and I've heard this from an account from several people. They're very sincere in terms of their desire to have African-Americans repatriate to Ghana. So that is very, very, very prevalent for sure. Okay. You know, the issue, you know, go ahead. And then there's the, the other part, like having our own banks, having our own money, having our own. Well, we tried that and we saw what happened when we did that here in times past. Of course. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean. Here, right here in Philadelphia, uh, a, a great piece of history. In Philadelphia, there was two prominently owned black banks. Uh, one, one of the banks was called the Cosmopolitan Bank. And I can't remember the other name of the bank. But in the 1920s and early 1900s, 1900, 1910, 1920, uh, there was two investment banks. And it powered a very prominent 
business oriented uh, black society in Philadelphia. In fact, the first HBCU really was um, in Philadelphia. And the bank had a, a role in that. In fact, the bank was investing into Marcus Garvey's Black Star Network. Uh, once the United States federal government got wind of this, they shut it down in, a, in, in numerous ways. They ruined the investments. They ruined the investments uh, that the bank made. And essentially, uh, there was a run on the bank and the banks collapsed. When the banks collapsed, what happens? African-Americans have to become dependent on white-owned banks. And we already know what happens when we are dependent on white people to provide us capital. So, yeah, the history of Black banking is very, very challenging. Uh, and like I said before, the Federal Reserve, which creates the money out of thin air and distributes it to the United States Treasury, which then, you know, sends it wherever they want to send it, it doesn't really go to the Black-owned investment banks. So that is part of the problem uh, that I was talking about in the very beginning, where Black people need their own currency. Yeah, man. Hey, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I don't disagree. And some of the questions I ask, I ask simply for the sake of playing devil's advocate, because there are those people who have those questions and those concerns. Um, and I, I totally understand the mindset um of people like yourself as well as people like the aforementioned the problem that i have is that i feel like we are as a people we're so afraid to just step out and do what needs to be done like so you have those individuals you have many individuals who are like let's go gung-ho let's get it and then you have the masses or the the greater portion of the people who are literally like, look, I'm, I'm straight over here. I got my house. I got my car. <laughs> I have a decent job. I can afford where I live. I'm okay. I'll stay here. I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, I've never been to Africa. I don't know what that's like. I'm afraid. I don't want to go. And I don't want to go over here and try to do our own thing with our own thing because our people can't be trusted. They don't even run fast food businesses in a proper, you know, properly or whatever. So I, I understand. Um, I understand all of the questions and hesitations that one would be met with when trying to get people to, you know, adapt a different mindset, different way of thinking. But at the end of the day, if we continue doing what we've been doing, we're going to continue to get the same results. I could no, I completely agree. And I've and I've run into those objections multiple times and they are completely legitimate objections. Like I've got a house, I've got a nice car, I've got a nice job, I've got a side business, I got a side hustle. I make good money. I have a good life. I go in a happy hour with my friends, we listen to ratchet music. You know, we drink some drinks, we eat some food, we dance, we talk, we watch, you know, Housewives of Atlanta. What the hell do I want to uproot all of this for? You know, people are comfortable. And I think that not everybody's going to come with us on the journey for the people who want to assimilate someplace else. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Ultimately, what we have to do is just look at things from a bird's eye perspective. What is all of this about? You know, what is white supremacy about? 
in this country, what does it mean? It comes down to really the flow of money and the flow, as long as they control it, then you're going to basically be somewhat at their mercy. People are buying houses left and right. Why? Because the interest rates are low. Well, who decides that the interest rates are low? Not black people. I'll tell you that much. Facts. Facts. Like I can't. Who's going to argue that? Facts. (laughs) It's facts. It ain't. It ain't black people. So there's a lot of things that we don't control, and there's a lot of things that are uncomfortable, and there's a lot of fears that we have. But the key is, why do we have these fears? That's number one. Well, you have these fears because it has been put in our minds and our subconscious minds that our best efforts will not prosper. Why? Because they have us watch these movies, these slave movies. Remember when we used to beat the crap out of you? Remember when we used to whip you? And at the end of the day, we decided to be nice and save your ass. But don't ever think you're going <laughs> to see a movie. Don't ever think you're going to see a movie where um, you're going to somehow see slaves just overcoming and then they're going to really, you know, be in charge and be in control. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. You don't see black people who are running things. Yeah. Facts, man. It's all true. It's all true. And that's the thing. Um, because I actually have um a a good deal of people from different ethnicities who listen to the podcast, right? So I understand that this conversation this point in the park in this particular episode is probably going to make some people uncomfortable, but that's necessary too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, everywhere, everywhere in the world, people can govern themselves. Indians can govern Indians, you know, Europeans, whether they're Eastern European or Western European, they govern themselves. Asians, there's different Asian communities, not just China. You got China, you have Japan, Indonesia, Thailand, Guess what? Thai people in Thailand govern Thai people. Well, guess what? African-Americans are Africans in America. And they, they, maybe they don't even want to recognize the African part. They're black, whatever. But black people, there's no black part of America where you can go and that's your base. You know, when somebody's just chasing you around, when you used to play the game and you could run and say base. That's you right. Catch your breath. Yeah. Where's that place for black people? I referred to it earlier and I said we are the bastard race. We are, <laughs> we are the bastard you go. race. Yeah. There is no base, Jay. There's no place where you can say, you can't chase me here. You can't bother me here. Here, I could just take a deep breath. I could just catch my breath before I go out there and start running again. Before I start getting chased. Before you can tag me. I need a place where I can catch my breath. I need a place where I can just relax, close my eyes. Where is that place? Jamaica? Maybe. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But so here's Listen. the thing. A lot of yeah. people won't understand how, where we are now in the episode ties directly into where we started in the episode. Like, I know that there are going to be some people who are going to say, yeah, I didn't get that episode. They started off talking about this and then they ended up way over here talking about, but it ties directly in. Like it's, it's all one, it's all one recipe for one pie. 
Let's say it like that. Like, you know, you may start with whatever you start with. You may start with the dough, but then you got to get the filling and then you got to get the, the topping. So it's all a piece of the same pie. Uh, no, I completely agree with you. It is a part of the same pie because, again, if you have a population of black men who start off as babies, they grow into boys and they get quality education and they get quality home life and they get quality activities and they're safe and they're taught and they're nurtured. What kind of men do you think they're going to grow up to be? And if you have girls who are treated the same way and they're nurtured and they're loved and they're cared for and they are given great education and access to fantastic opportunities, what kind of society do you think you're going to live in? It's definitely going to be different. It's going to be completely different. If you've got 20 black men who are all educated and they're all able to get nice jobs, start them off making $65,000 a year, and they've got good character, and then you've got 20 black women who can go out and do the same thing, then you don't think they'll come together? And then if they come together and put their money together, then they qualify to get a loan to get a house and then they get a house. And then you've got those 20 black families living in the same community, all working, all making money, all building equity. Now you have a community. Mm -hmm. Do you think that white America wants that? So I will say this. I won't say that white America as a whole is against it or doesn't want it, but those in power do not. Yeah. So who's in power? Well, that's what I mean. Those of the white community who are in power don't want it. No, they don't mind it. And I'm going to tell you why they don't mind it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't affect what they control. Because ultimately, white supremacy is a byproduct of capitalism. Capitalism Mm. is a byproduct of imperialism. Mm. Capitalism says something very simple. In a nutshell, when people ask me to explain capitalism, I tell them, you got to have a wholesale, you got to have a retail. I got to get my product for $5, Jay, to sell it for 10. That's right. I got to get my service. I got to pay my employee five bucks so I can charge you 10. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's no profit. That's right. No doubt. But what happens, Jay, if my employee, if my supplier of my product says, I'm charging you eight bucks for this product now? Well, wait a minute. I'm charging my people 10 and you want eight. (laughs) <laughs> now you're cutting into my profits buddy yes sir that means i have to raise my price from 10 to 13 but what if they don't want to buy it at 13 what if they like it at 10 then mm. what am i going to do mm. what if they want to start asking for 10 dollars for the wholesale right. but i can't sell it for more than 11 dollars. i don't have a business anymore i don't have profit so what happens jay is that conditions must be kept to keep the wholesale, the wholesale. Mm-hmm. In order for me to continue to get my profits. This is how it started with slavery. They bring Africans over to pick cotton. That's wholesale work. We don't have to pay them. They're going to do the labor. They're going to pick the cotton. We're going to take it, have it spun into clothes or whatever, and sell it retail to Europe profit think about it think about gentrification 
black people live in a neighborhood. They live in a house. But we're going to take away the jobs. We're going to shortcut the public services so it can become decrepit. Then we'll throw in some drugs, too. Then we'll give some weapons. Then we'll get police (laughs) to arrest these people just so it's a bad neighborhood. And once we've depressed the property value down enough, we'll have our private investors buy the houses for $20,000, get a loan from the bank, fix it up, and then sell it for $200,000. Reap wholesale retail. You think they can't fix the education system? Of course they can. Yes. Of course. Of course they can. Well, they always say, well, why do you have all this money for guns, but you don't have the money for education? Because the wholesale has to be kept the wholesale. Somebody has to have the mindset and the belief system to say, you know what? The best I can do is get this job at Burger King. Somebody's got to have the mindset and the belief system to say, you know what? I'm just going to take this security job. Because you have to have people who are willing to play the role of the wholesale. And black people have been earmarked. To your point of being the bastard children, we have been earmarked by this country to be the wholesale. The worker bees, the worker ants. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. For real. Yes. Yeah. Now, African-Americans in the information age, they have access to the Internet. They have smartphones. And so they realize, well, wait a minute. If we do things this way and this way, then we can get ahead. And then you have a portion of middle white America, especially, who have gotten fat and lazy. And so now you're seeing more African-Americans, more black people making achievements. They're starting their own businesses. They're starting their own side hustles. They're, they're investing in the stock market. They're doing this. They're making more money. And then all of a sudden you have these white people who have lost their privilege because black people aren't working at Burger King like that no more. They have, they, they're starting, they're selling stuff on, on, on the internet. They've learned how to sell t-shirts on, on Etsy. They've started their own YouTube channel. Now they're getting money. Now they're getting into politics. Now they become president. Now white people start getting concerned. Now, wait a minute. Hold on now. They are supposed to be the wholesale. Not us. They get money. Hold on. What's going on here? This isn't right. This isn't making sense. Things are starting to turn. Things are starting to turn. Again, I know this started off as black men and black women and relationships and stuff like that. A lot of it just comes down to our access to education and our access to money. Because when black men get money and they're educated, they will nine times out of ten get married. And when they do, eight times out of ten, they marry a black woman. Problem solved. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Because, oh, yeah, I'm glad you said that because that takes me back to another point. Um, That's one of the problem that uh, one of the problems that a lot of black women have when it comes to black men is because once a black man, (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with my speech tonight, but once a black man becomes a qualified spouse 
and they take that to a woman of any other ethnicity, it burns the black woman up because it's like you, you, you are a man of quality. There aren't many of you right now. And you there may I say it as they should, as they should. I think that it's, it's, you know, I don't speak out against it. Uh, and I have friends who are married to women of other ethnicities. So, you know, I want to be sensitive when I say it, but I can understand and I can empathize when something like that happens. You know, it, it I'm not judging. I'm just saying I, I get it. I get it. I get it, too. I'm serious. Like, what, what? What? Hold on. Wait a minute. I'm just saying. What do you get? You get when men do that or you get when. Women, oh, no, I get when women are upset. Yes, I do, too, because honestly and truthfully, um, it's kind of like I, I recently said something in a in a podcast as well. And I said I, I told them, I said. When the black man, when and if the black man ever loses the black woman it's a wrap bro you're finished because (laughs) and i think i honestly think that most of us have never even thought about that they have held us down they have been there for us they have supported us from day one and they are the only ones that can truly understand our struggle you ain't said nothing but a word brother you ain't said nothing but a word. You know, I had written a, a nice blog post uh, in, uh, in, you know, just, just giving black women their flowers. Uh, and I think what I pointed out was how we take black women for granted every day. And I recognized something in a particular day that I had many, many years ago. I was working at a call center and I picked up on something that black women were involved in every aspect of my day. Uh, I went to go catch the bus. The bus driver was a black woman. Uh, my first stop I got off, I didn't have any money because I was a paycheck to paycheck broke guy. But I went in and the barista at the Starbucks was a black woman and she gave me a free coffee uh, to help me on my way. I caught my second bus. A black woman picked me up. I got to my job and I said hello to my boss. You know who my boss was? A black woman. She gave me a shot. She gave me an opportunity when I was struggling and she gave me the job and I sat down and I got to work. And then during my lunchtime, you know, I was able to get, uh, you know, chicken tenders and fries, which I didn't have money for. But who slid it to me? A black woman cook in the back. And I realized throughout the course of my day that black women, they transported me, they employed me, they fed me. They showed me love. They showed me support. And I couldn't imagine my life without them. So I salute them. I love them. I I support them. I care for them. I want them to win. I want them to be happy. So, you know, for the black women that listen to this, you know, for women of other races or ethnicities, no disrespect whatsoever. I care and love all women. But I got a special place in my heart for black women. That's my word. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. So, yeah, with that, I think we can we can end this, man. We can close this one out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fantastic, that was, man. That was, that was dope, man. 